Last week, we were reminded that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That is what God has done. That is our theology of hope. And now that we understand it, what difference does it make in our behavior? That is the ethical question that comes from theology. And good ethics always come from good theology. In fact, it's futile to try to establish a standard for ethical behavior apart from an understanding of who we are and who made us. And that understanding comes only from good theology. Well, Peter has given us the theology of hope. In 1 Peter 1, 3 through 12. And now he moves to the ethical considerations based on that theology. He opens the door to ethics in verse 13. Therefore, gird your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Therefore, based on what I've said, gird your minds for action. Literally, it says, gird up the loins of your mind. It's a picture that the kids usually enjoy. It's a picture of a first century Mideastern man grabbing the tail of his robe pulling it between his legs and tucking it into his uh, belt so he can go to work. Our equivalent would probably be roll up your sleeves. I think Peter is saying it's time to put into practice the implications of what I've said. So roll up your sleeves, get your head on straight, and lock into the hope that's yours through the grace of God. A grace that will find fulfillment when Jesus returns. This is so important. We celebrate the resurrection. We understand what Christ has done. Now, how do we respond to that? It's essential we get this straight. And Peter spells it out for us. Because of your hope... Be holy, be reverent, and be loving. Be holy. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts that were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I 
and holy. What does it mean to be holy? We have a lot of misconceptions about that, and we don't like hearing that term, oh, you just think you're holier than someone else. What does it mean to be holy? What do you think of when you hear that someone is holy? Do you think of hair shirts? Now, if you don't know what hair shirts are, they were popular back in the uh, oh, thousand years ago, before my time. Do you think of hair shirts and hermits? Like Simon Stylites? A man who spent 37 years sitting on a pillar near Aleppo in modern Syria to isolate himself from the world. That's what he thought holiness entailed. Is that what it means to be holy? To be isolated? withdrawn, having no contact with the world or with reality? Well, some might think so. But Peter puts holiness in a different light. He says, be like the Holy One who called you. To be like God is to be holy. And God didn't sit on a pillar And let the world go by. God is very much involved in the things of this world. He came and lived among us to show us what He's like. And to make it possible for us to be like Him. And when we do, we become holy. And what's it like? What's He like? God is loving. He's courageous. He's self-controlled. He's just. He's approachable and likable, yet respected and revered. In short, He's everything we could ever want to be. And to be like Him is to be holy. And since we were originally made in his image, there's something deep down inside us that longs to be holy. For to be holy is to be as we were created. The word itself means to be put to proper use. You know, it's sin that has messed us up that's made us useless and worthless for anything of eternal significance. But God has made it possible for us to regain our lost holiness. He's made it possible for us to once again become like Him. And He did that through the cross. That is our hope. And it's not a vain hope. It's not a dying hope. It's a living hope. A secure hope, one that is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. We've been born again into that hope. And now as obedient children, actually it says as children of obedience, children whose new born-again nature is to be obedient, not rebellious, As obedient children, children of obedience, we have to make a break from our former sinful, rebellious lifestyle. 
We've got to consciously seek to be like the Holy One who called us. And that means we can no longer allow ourselves to be conformed to the former lusts which once dominated our lives. The word lust is much broader than we generally realize. It's not limited to sexual desires. It has to do with all of our drives and our ambitions and our passions. We were once conformed to the world's drives and passions and desires and ambitions. Whatever the world was seeking, we sought. What the world was doing, we did. Now, Peter says, we are to conform ourselves to a new ambition. Our ambition is to be conformed to the image of God. And to do that, we've got to let go of our desire to be conformed to the world. To be like those around us who are still living in ignorance of who they really are. Why they're here. and What's really happening to them. We can no longer allow the world to squeeze us into its mold. As J.B. Phillips so eloquently put it in Romans 12. We've been born again in the image of God. And now we choose to live like Him. To be like Him. Now, this isn't going to happen overnight. Even a baby that is destined to look like a parent won't really resemble the parent until it matures. The same is true of us on a spiritual level. If we have been chosen by God to resemble His Son, to be conformed to His image, and we know that we have been chosen if we've said yes to His offer to save us and remake us, if we've been chosen to be like Him, we shouldn't expect ourselves to be perfect images of Him overnight. It's going to take time. But it will happen if, if we consciously seek to be like Him and refuse to allow our former lusts to dominate our life. Those lusts are still going to be there. Desires are still going to be there, calling to us. But we now have a reason to resist them. We have a Heavenly Father that we revere. And that leads us to behavior that's not only holy, but also reverent. Peter continues. And if you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay upon earth knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory 
so that your faith and hope are in God. We have a Heavenly Father. We have been born again as His children. Now, He's the creator of every person. But in our rebellion against Him, we walked away from that familial tie. We left the family of God. Through His grace, we have been born again into that family. We have been born again as His children. And now God is our Father. Abba. Daddy. But we must never forget that our Father is also the judge of the world. Everyone will stand before Him. Those who have never accepted His offer of salvation will stand before Him to be condemned to an eternity cut off from Him and from anything that's good. They will be condemned to hell. Those who have accepted His offer and have found forgiveness through the sacrifice of His Son won't be judged for their sins. Their sins will be washed away, separated from them as far as the east is from the west. But they will still stand before Him to have their works judged, to see if they merit a reward or not. 2 Corinthians 5.10 states, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. So one way or another, we will all stand before the judge. And even if he is our father, he's going to judge impartially. He's going to examine our works to see if they'll stand. To see if they were done for the the right motive. He's going to look into our heart. And he's going to look at what we've done with what He's given us. And that thought should bring on a healthy dose of fear. Not cringing, cowering fear, but a reverential fear and respect that should motivate us to do what we know to be right and pleasing in His sight. And we're not doing so because we're afraid of the fires of hell. We're afraid of breaking his heart. It's a fear of disappointing him. It's a fear that he'll look at what we've done and say, is that all you did for me? After all I did for you? And we know what he did for us. If he had bought our redemption with silver and gold... It wouldn't have meant much. He has an unlimited supply. But we know that we were redeemed from a futile and doomed life, a sinful life that was inherited from our forefathers with the precious blood of His Son, the unblemished and spotless Lamb of God who shed His blood to save us and to change us. 
Not only did our salvation cost God the life of his son, he knew what it was going to cost him even before he made us. Even before he made the world. He knew from the very beginning that he would have to redeem us at great cost to himself because we would need it and could never pay the price ourselves. But he went ahead and made us. Would you really do something that you knew was going to cost you everything? God did. He made us knowing it would cost him his son to redeem us. If that doesn't motivate us to revere him, nothing will. Now, being reverent doesn't mean we tiptoe around God, hoping not to disturb or upset him. We revere God by loving him. And seeking to please him. Reverent behavior is not religious behavior. It's loving behavior expressed toward God. I like that. Let's say it again. Reverent behavior is not religious behavior. It's loving behavior expressed toward God. And toward those he loves. We're not only going to see him someday, we're going to spend eternity with all those who love him. So our hope not only motivates us to be holy and reverent, it also motivates us to be loving. Reading on. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is is, is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers. And the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the word which is preached to you. When we accepted Christ, we died to self. Our souls were cleansed of a rebellious spirit that sought to put self first. And when we surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, we were adopted into the family of God. We discovered we had brothers and sisters who shared our relationship with and love for our Heavenly Father. We were in a family. And we were sincerely able to love each other as brethren. There was a bond that we couldn't deny. You know, that was one of the things I, I was overwhelmed with when we went to Jamaica for the first time. People from a different culture with language that was hard to understand loved Christ. And so did I. And we loved each other because of it. It's amazing. 
we're family. That love we felt for each other as family was real. We didn't have to pretend to love each other. We just did it. There was no hypocrisy, no play acting in the love that we felt for each other. But brotherly love can fade over time. Families grow distant. Sibling rivalry rears its ugly head and hurt feelings push out loving feelings. So we have to go beyond brotherly love to agape, godly love. And Peter makes that distinction here. We can't tell it in English, but he used two different words for love in verse 22. The sincere love of the brethren we discovered we had when we were given a place at the table and made part of the family is phileo. It's brotherly love. The fervent love we're to have from the heart for one another is agape. Godly love. A love that lasts. A love that's based on actions, not feelings. A love that can therefore be commanded. Now, it does come from our heart because our heart has been changed through the living and abiding Word of God, but it's also a love that comes from our head. It's not just emotional. It's something we will to do and can be commanded to do. It's not a fleeting, fading, here today, gone tomorrow kind of love that we sometimes have. That feeling that we have and call love. It's a deep, imperishable commitment to act toward others in the family as the Father has acted toward us. And it's a love that grows as we learn more of His love for us and discover how He expects us to express love to each other. It's a love that grows as we learn more about the future He's promised to us and His will for us today. That future and His will are both revealed in His Word. And both motivate us to be loving toward one another. If we really understand what He's done for us and the future He's planned for us, we will be holy and reverent and loving. We will long to be like Him We will seek to please Him, and we will love each other as He has loved us. If you are not holy and reverent and loving today, I pray you will allow Him to change you. Allow Him to mold you. Allow Him to make you into an image of Himself. And He will do that. If you'll surrender to Him and let Him have His own way in your life. 
Those are the ethical implications of our faith. It's not enough to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. It's not enough to believe the promises he made. We take those truths, that theology, and we put it into practice by the life we live. We become holy. We become reverent. And we become loving. If we don't, our faith is empty. And it's in vain. Have thine own way, Lord. Change me. Mold me. Let me reflect your image in what I say and what I do. I trust that's your prayer.